again or should I just start for now? Yeah, yeah, go, go whenever you like, yeah. Yeah. I'm Rachel Johns, best-selling author of contemporary women's fiction and rural romance from Perth, Western Australia. And I'm Sophie Green, also a best-selling author of contemporary women's fiction from Sydney, New South Wales. On this podcast, we talk about writing, about stories, about anything related to books that comes to mind. And we might even play agony aunts to writers who have a problem to solve, and readers can send us those too. Mostly we just like to chat to each other. And we hope you'll listen while we do. Welcome to the first episode of Dear Rach and Soph. Hi, Rach. Hi, Soph. So good to see you. We first met uh, on Zoom. In fact, we haven't yet met in person at the time we're recording this, but we first met on Zoom when I was doing a podcast last year called Writing Books and Music. And I had such a great time chatting to you and wanted to know so much more about you as a writer and you as a person that I suggested to you that we do a podcast and you said yes. So I'm thrilled because now I get to talk to you more. I'm thrilled as well. Um, I just suddenly thought I should have asked you beforehand whether I'm allowed to say my first recollection of you years ago. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> uh, you might not remember, um, but when you were an agent, is it okay to talk about that? Absolutely, yeah. Because <laughs> I know um, when I was first, uh, not first writing probably because I started writing at 17 and I don't know whether you were an agent 25 or so years ago, but um, when I got serious about writing and um, or a few years after I got serious about writing and, and was pitching my very first novel, Jilted, I got a contract um, and I didn't have an agent at the time and I emailed a number of agents. So you probably get, you know, so many messages that you don't even remember. But I emailed a number of agents and got varied responses. Um, and I'm sure eventually we may talk about, you know, whether you need an agent and all that sort of stuff. But I got various responses and I remember three distinctly. One was like, no, thanks for playing. One was yes, I won't mention names for that person, but one was yes, I'd love to represent you without even looking at the book or anything, um, which gave me a bit of red flags. And then you said, look, I'm really sorry, but I'm not in the position to represent you. I can't remember, you know what it was, was, you know, the genre or the timing or whatever. But you offered to look at the contract for me if need or something like that. And I remember thinking, I really respect this person because A, you know, they're they're not just going to take me on because it's an easy sort of, you know, easy score, but they also are willing to help uh, a little bit. So that's my very first memory of you before I knew you as a writer. Um, and it's a good one. <laughs> I do remember that. I remember that the reason why I said I couldn't represent you is I had another client who was writing in the rural romance genre. And I just thought I, I didn't feel like I could I could offer representation. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, you know, but especially with your first book, often, and you'd already got the deal by that stage. Yeah. And as an agent, we're now going... <laughs> But as an agent, I I would occasionally get those approaches from people who have already had had offers from publishers. And I used to think, well, it's not reasonable if I just step in and do the contract at this stage and actually say, oh, yes, I'll represent you because so much of the hard work is getting that offer in the first place. And for me, contracts were not that big a deal. So as in, yeah. was going to suck up? It was more like that. the relationship or the, the thrill of the chase. Do you like that? <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought, well, it's, you know, that was that was a straightforward um, thing to do. And uh, and look at you now, Rachel, you know, Australia's <laughs> leading author of women's contemporary fiction, uh, contemporary women's fiction, however we're saying it. <laughs> whatever we want to call it. <laughs> 
which is fantastic. And um, it's been so wonderful watching your career grow and 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 grow pretty quickly from the start. Um, but also, also admiring of the pace you keep up, um, which has led you. Here's my segue to your latest book. <laughs> Which is which is Bridget. Bridget. Yay, I'm glad you have a copy. <laughs> I'm hiding it because I'm in a place that's not very pretty at the moment, so I've made a pretty background. <laughs> I totally forgot to suggest that you bring a copy, so I'm glad you remembered one. <laughs> and I've been reading it. And I have purposely not finished it because I did not want to inadvertently reveal. Oh, the clever! <laughs> I thought it might just pop out if yeah if I get too relaxed chatting to you so I don't know what yep. happens at the end but I do know enough to know how much I love it and how addictive it is um so I'm really Thank curious you. as a reader to know where the idea came from yeah well as I'm guessing you would probably say the same um rewriting and ideas that they come from everywhere mm-hmm. and I often find that it's not just one place or one thing that happens but you know, it's a few things and eventually, and sometimes those things can have been sort of mulling about in your brain for a long time, but you just have, it's not quite there, but it's not a full idea. And so you're waiting to put, you know, the pieces together. With this one, um, it's, I guess, three things. One is that I love Bridget Jones as a character, like the, the original Bridget Jones and Bridget Jones Diary. And I'll get to, you know, how that linked in a second. The other is the library aspect. So my book, Bridget, um, is a librarian. And I actually wanted to write a librarian character for quite a few years and I tried to, and it was a librarian called Bridget, I tried to in my book Outback Secrets. Now, mm-hmm. that book was a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people were talking about it last time. Yeah. 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 And um, this, this one was definitely not, none, none of them are easy, I'm sure you'll agree, mm-hmm. <laughs> but some are better than others. And this one was really hard and, yeah, it took me three different female main characters before I got the right one for the male main character. Um, and one of the second one of those was a librarian in a small town called Bridget, whose superpower was, you know, matching people to books and turning non-readers into writers. I mean, sorry, non-readers into bookworms. And I really loved that element of it. Um, so I was sad to give that. Goodbye. And I just didn't really even think about it uh, for another few you know, years. And then I was having, so I do writing sprints to get my words down often with a writing friend called Rebecca Heath in South Australia. And so we basically, four or five sessions a day, we write for half an hour and we switch off with a post to, you know, email, Facebook and all that. And then we tell each other go and then we check back in via email afterwards and we see how much words we've done. So kind of just inspires each other to, motivates each other to keep going and one of these writing sprints a year or two ago, um, Beck said to me, oh, I've done nothing because I got a text message right at the beginning. Like, you know how we get text messages for appointments and stuff these days? Mm-hmm. She'd got one for her 16-year-old son. And her son is, um, well, it's, it was an appointment for a psychologist appointment at the hospital for her 16-year-old son. The first she knew anything about him needed to say a psychologist or a psychiatrist or whatever. Um, so she rang the hospital back and then going to miss you know they couldn't work out what was going on so someone else was going to bring her back and then she was going to ring them it's like for half an hour she was back and forth trying to work out what was going on so phone tennis and in the end it turned out because her her son had broken some bone not long before and been in hospital the person who had the uh, psychology appointment or psychology um 
was had this exact same name as her son, same birth date. So somehow they'd mixed it up and they'd sent her the text message. And she said it was for the other, um, you know, and then his name. I won't say it on air. Um, and I just thought, oh, the other, say, the other Sophie Green sounds like a really good title. So I just said that and then I went back to sprinting, you know, writing for the next half hour. But I don't think I got much done in that half hour because suddenly then my librarian character landed in my head and I just thought, what about the other Bridget Jones? Because I had already made this character's name was Bridget in my previous book. Her surname wasn't Jones, but I'd wanted her to be named after Bridget Jones. So I'd had that much, but she was just Bridget, not Bridget Jones. Mm-hmm. Whereas my character in my book isn't called Bridget Jones. And so, yeah, just so it was that little conversation and then the title, The Other Bridget Jones, and that, the fact that I wanted to write a librarian for a few years, that sort of those three things came together. I find, I don't know about you, but I find titles are really important for me. Well, your titles are all, you know, they've got a connecting link in a way because they're all themed around, you know, some sort of club, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah, do your titles come first? <laughs> no, in fact, um, only one of the books, which is this year, uh, last year's Weekends with the Sunshine Gardening Society, had a title yeah. contract. And, but for me, they've a lot of the titles have come out of um, whatever I call this shorthand in my head. So the title uh-huh. doesn't necessarily be there, but I might have. So Fairvale, the inaugural meeting at the Fairvale Ladies Book Club for me. Was that always, is such a mouthful. <laughs> and that came about just from we were we were struggling to get a title and I just happened to say. That book and, and, and title, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, we were having a perfect package. I love the book, the title and the cover. Yeah, the, I'm very lucky with my covers. Um, all designed by Krista Moffat uh, of Christabella Designs. And, uh, but, yeah, I just happened to say to the publisher of that book, oh, of course, that was the inaugural meeting of the Fairvale Ladies Book Club, but you had, that's it. That Perfect. Is title. It is a mouthful, but for each of them it's like, yeah, so there's a, a place name for me Yeah. Um, that, that is the, the shorthand in my head and then I kind of build the eventual title around that with the publisher because they, yeah. they have ideas as well as, as yeah. you know, publishers have ideas. Yeah. And I should maybe talk about titles quickly. I was going that my original title for this was The Other Bridget Jones. That was on my contract and that was what I came to. Um, but people often say, you know, are you allowed to, are titles copyrighted, are character names copyrighted and, you you know, song titles and stuff like that. And the answer is no, not usually. You know, titles are Sometimes you have two titles or four titles of the same books mm-hmm. or more. And, you know, you could write a character name and I could write a character name and that's just the way it is. Yeah. But um, they did do a little bit of investigating and Helen Fielding trademarked the name Bridget Jones. Um, so we couldn't use that in the title. Um, you can't use, you can't have Bridget Jones pasta or, you know, anything to do with Bridget Jones really. So hopefully, hopefully we get away with it. <laughs> Well, I think you will, and also because the the power of the book, I would think, is mainly in your name, actually. So it's yeah. it's with Rachel Johns on the cover. That is what people oh. are. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, the other Bridget, because Bridget Jones is such a well known character in the wider global culture, I do think immediately hearing that title, your brain fills in the rest. Yeah, so- I think if you know of Bridget Jones, which most people do, that it does. If you don't, it doesn't stop you you know I, I think it's probably a stronger title actually yeah and it's, and it's yeah you got to come to it and think well what's that 
particular story about. Um, yeah. We're going to meander all over the place in this conversation because <laughs> that's the nature of it. Uh, I'm not formally interviewing you about your book because I wanted to talk about the writing sprints. So mm-hmm. um, I love the fact that it's four to five a day because a lot yeah. of writers would have writing sprints that are maybe you know, one a day or they have a particular arrangement where they get together with another writer once a yeah. week or whatever. So how... So when did you start doing this with, with Rebecca? Oh, that's a really good question because both of us, um, I should also say we don't always do the four to five together because she's right. in South Australia and I'm in Perth. And especially when uh, we've got daylight, well, the Eastern States of daylight savings, um, that's two and a half hours between us. So, you know, I, she may have already started and I'll probably finish after, but we generally get, you know, two or three sprints together. How long have we been doing? And I should say both of us write full time. So it's both of our, you know, full-time commitments we don't have other jobs um which means probably why we can do that many a day um I don't actually I think we've been doing it since before we were both published we met through an online course uh, a US online course I think it was can't even remember what it was now um probably around I think because of the age of our kids it would have been around 2007 maybe 2006 um and and, yeah, we were both, you know, around the same age, both writing romance at the time. She no longer does. Um, and we both had, you know, we were both stay-at-home mums kind of this stage and in the drudgery of toddlers and newborns. So we, we connect, and we were both Australian on this online course. So we connected through that. And so I don't know exactly when we started doing sprints. Um, that's a good, but, but it's been quite a few years now. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm impressed at the at the discipline, and obviously you would recommend them. And I have done them from time to time, not for a long time though. There was, but and not really for me. There, I, there was a writer friend yeah. who was struggling to get the motivation, and yeah, it is a way to get motivation. Yeah, and also if you need an accountability partner, um, I think that's the that's the key thing. I think the accountability, um, especially in some ways. I mean, I guess sprints are good if you only have a short time. A day to write because you're like well I'm going to do you know 30 minutes and that's all I can do but I need to you know focus in that time but they're also good like when you do um write full time completely uh and have suddenly have all the time in the world like kids at home they're all at school and different things like that it's very easy to you know pitter away oh, what's the word just lose bits and pieces lose your day basically to to procrastination mm-hmm. and thinking and just you know faffing around so it kind of keeps us accountable. So I think, yeah, no matter what stage you are in your writing career, um, it's a good accountability tool um, and, and focus it's so hard these days. And I'm not always perfect. Occasionally I will slip up. <laughs> um, but if I'm doing it with someone else, I'm less likely to slip up and check the internet because it's that little bit of competitive nature in me that's like, well, I don't want them to have written 500 words and I wrote 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I guess it also... Um suggests that your writing style I think is a bit like mine so I'm I will write in short spurts and then it's then it's almost like um I suppose a greyhound (laughs) needs to run around a paddock really intensely for rest for a while Uh, yeah and I I don't know any other way to work and also with me uh and I reckon any writer actually um or the kind of job where you're sitting on your butt most of the day um it's not really healthy to sit down for you know hours and hours at eight so so mentally I can't do that like I said anyway I'm just um but yeah I have also had a back operation 
four years ago, just the beginning of the pandemic, and I've had a bad back for for quite a long time before that. Um, so I'm very aware that if I sit for too long, um, I, I start getting sore. So that helps me focus on the writing, but also be sort of a little bit physically healthy. Um, and, and also I wanted to say that, you know, people think they need, like so many people are saying, oh, I wish I was writing full-time, you know, I want to quit my job and be able to write full-time. Now, I know you have another job as well. Um, and I think that's not necessarily a bad thing because mm. so I so what I actually had a writer the other day, uh, it's oh my gosh, I should know her name and I can't even think of it now. She's a US writer who's written some very funny sort of romantic comedy book mysteries. Anyway, it's completely Jessie Suanto or something like that. Anyway, um she's doing this thing on Instagram about her writing a book in five weeks or something. And she said what she has to do is always give herself something to do in the afternoon like she sets up lunch dates or appointments and different stuff because she found when she went writing full time she just actually was a lot less productive and Mm. I can really relate to that so I think you know my actual writing time is probably at most three hours a day you know and definitely not more than that if you can um I might be sitting there longer but if you know but yeah like I'm doing other things so you don't actually need to be sitting there, you know, for a full-time job to write a book, <laughs> if that makes sense, yeah. Well, and I saw a few months ago a documentary about Jackie Collins. Now, mm-hmm. uh, Jackie's books varied in terms of whether they, they work successfully or not, but I love her as a writer. I loved her. Oh, as I'd a love writer. to watch this. <laughs> and she yeah. used to write, so bearing in mind this was at a time when there were no computers when she started writing her yeah. book, Small Lucky. Children, she, was, she wrote at Traffic Lights, so, wow. so she would, I think obviously it was longhand, um, but she would stop and just write as much as she could in that time because she was driving the kids to school. <laughs> I think she was a single parent uh, mm. for a while. So, yeah, you can squeeze it in. I always think if that's amazing, you, then, then it can just pop into your head. But as a slight digression, Rachel, because I've been a yoga teacher for many years and uh, I've heard people I talk need to about, do that too. Talk about their <laughs> bodies. Yeah, you, you use the phrase you said I've got a bad back. Now I'm here to yeah. tell you your back can hear you say that. And oh. every <laughs> every time you say bad back, it's going to live up to its expectations. So so, so I, if you want to talk about <laughs> as being a challenging back or you know, a back on its way to being strong and healthy, but I, and I'm being quite serious. That whole idea of the yeah, it makes sense. Um, it does make sense what you're saying. Yeah. I soon as you said that, I was thinking about when someone says, is it a good baby or something? And it's like, because it's sleeping through the night. It's not a bad baby. It's yeah. four weeks old or whatever. It just, so I, thought, well, I, I felt very guilty as soon as you said that. So no, that, that's a good point. Well, let's, not add, <laughs> let's not add guilt to it though, please. Like it's, it's more that I know that people who say, oh, I have terrible hamstrings or my hamstrings are so tight. And I would say to them in class, yes, and they will always be as long as you tell them that. So, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it's just... And if you want to switch it back to writing, I think that's the same, yeah. you know, like if we have... I remember a few years ago, um, or probably a long, lot, many years ago now, um, I don't know if you've heard of Jennifer Cruzy, um, mm. a US author. She's fantastic and she hasn't had books out. I think she actually may have self-published some last year, but before that there was years and years without um, books. But she... I'm a member of the Romance Writers Australia and she came to one of the very early conferences that I went to and... Um, 
And she made the whole conference get up and say, I am a great writer, really loud, and just chant this for about, you know, I don't know, a minute or something because of that self-talk. So I, I do relate to it. I know what you mean. <laughs> well, I look forward to hearing what you uh, decide to say about your back in the future. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a think on that. <laughs> it's a lovely back. It's carrying you around. It is. I'm very grateful for my back. <laughs> I'm sure your back. Why, that's why I try and keep it, you know, I try and be kind to it now. <laughs> So if you just if you change that phrase and keep saying I'm grateful for my back, it's it's carrying me around. There you go. It will okay. cease to be a bad back. Got it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, but I think it, yes, this is also about language, and it's about the language we yeah. tell ourselves and uh, the languages that um, our characters say to us. And I made a little note while you were talking earlier about the character of the librarian character coming back to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah. I think that's part of our lot as novelists is having these characters just kind of sitting somewhere, maybe at the back of our brains or in the sediment or something like that, and then out they pop. And I've had that the last two novels where there are characters that I wrote stories about years ago or not full stories but maybe got yeah, yeah. to a manuscript and then I never found the right place for them, as you were saying about mm-hmm. character and Outback Secrets. It's like that that particular project was not the right place for them. Yeah. There is a place for them. And so is there a like a sensation that you have, almost like a bodily sensation of, oh, like it's something's clicking into place when that character mm. comes up and you think, okay, now, now's the right time. Yeah, I think it is a, it is a body sensation. It is kind of like I've learned very much to follow my gut in the last few years and not to ignore that. Um, in the writing process and that's when I'm not, not doubting certain things or about blocks of, you know but I think when you get an idea um, it's kind of I heard someone talk about this it's like a and they had a really good word for it but it is it's like this sort of buzz and sparkle that um, just sings to you and like not every, unless you probably shouldn't it's hard sometimes if you're contracting that but you probably shouldn't pursue an idea that doesn't give you that buzz you know maybe you should let it um sort of whether it's a character or an idea or you know maybe you should just let that simmer away and not push it because I think I've learned a lot in the last few years that obviously you can't love what you're doing all the time but um you really need to be excited about a project and that means being excited about the characters you know and what they're doing and so you really need I think it's like a spark inside me that sort of goes Oh my gosh! Yeah, this sounds this sounds really wanky, okay. And uh, but it's like I it doesn't always work out because I've read lots of books, and you know, like some are better than others. But it's like this thing in your head that goes, oh, "Hang on, that's not just going to be exciting to me," you know. That's that that character connects with I'm I you know if I heard about someone writing that, I'd be excited. But I know that other people would be too. Does that make sense, kind of thing? It does, and I don't think it's wanky because I think it speaks to your willingness to connect with your readership, which is a, a big part of why you're so successful. Is because readers mm-hmm. can tell on the page if if the storyteller wants to connect with them. There's such a difference on the page. Yeah. Someone who's who's writing. To, to write or to tell a particular story and someone who's a storyteller is my way. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And you are so clearly in in all of your books from the first page telling a story to someone. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> Probably because, uh, you know, this is a weird thing. So, so sometimes the, I've had, you know, as I said, lots of doubt over the years um, 
and you know lots of times where I think oh I'm not really really good at this and should I be doing this or you know can I keep going with this and then when I'm sleeping I have weird like lines and snippets of conversation and stuff and they're not like I always joke they're not my current characters or not you know so it's not useful at all but sometimes I'll have like a line in my head or I'll hear something and I'll say and I'll think okay this is why I need to write because like I'm writing in my head if that makes sense when I'm not when I'm not asleep yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you ever get anything like that. Uh, not in my dreams, but certainly throughout the day. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just, and I meditate as well. And sometimes things will just pop yeah. up. What? 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 About, yeah. <laughs> and then I have to try to hold on to the thought. Oh, that's the worst. Meditation, but then not try to obsess over the thought because then I'm not meditating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would, that, mm. I don't meditate. I probably should. And maybe that's why, because that would annoy me. <laughs> Look, I think many different uh, things can be a meditation. So walking a dog can yep. be a meditation. Like, I do that a lot. There yeah. you go. It's a, that's a walking meditation. I, think. I do love walking. <laughs> so why, when this uh, librarian came to you, when it was Bridget and um, mm-hmm. it was the other Bridget Jones and you thought, okay, I have this story, how long did it take you from the start, of, from that recognition that it was that character's time to actually have a, have a first draft of a, of a manuscript about her? Well, this is pretty quick, but also not pretty quick because I was writing another book at the time um, that it came to me. So I had just signed with a new publisher and we hadn't actually decided on, or I was, I don't know if I actually signed, I think it was in the process of signing the contract and stuff, but we hadn't, I hadn't got the contract because the contract does say the other bridge on it. So it must, but I'd, I'd been just in discussions with a new publisher and, you know, it was going kind of ahead and, and, we hadn't there was a couple of ideas that I'd sort of pitched to her um and she liked well actually I sent her I wouldn't say I'm an ideas person um other people would say I am but I I think I'm more of uh seeds of ideas or you know things I'd like but they're not actual books you know just because you want to write about I don't know a rubbish collector it doesn't mean that that's a book right <laughs> and so I've got lots of things that I would like to explore but they're not quite you know they're not books but I'd sent her a list of these sort of, uh, you know, I want to write a book about a radio station, a community radio station that's dying and it's all, and there's a few other things on, on there. And she was like, I love them all. Which one kind of calls to you? And I, I said, I think this one. And that was fine. And we went away. And then I was doing that writing sprint right. and I had that, that and, and I just wrote to my publisher and I said, what about a book called The Other Bridget Jones? And she's like, oh, my gosh, I love it. I love the title. And I think I wrote in that sprint time thing because I'm very in, impulsive in a lot of ways, you know. Don't, and and then I went away and thought about it. And I this for me was very rare. And I don't usually sort of write a outline or synopsis. There, um, and it wasn't a full on detailed one, but it was suddenly just getting getting the idea kind of that I had in my head down into the page so I could show the publisher. And so I did actually almost write a full synopsis. And a lot of things changed and. Um, you know, but I had the, I guess, the main, the two main characters. They changed as well in terms of what they do and stuff, but I had the, the essence of them, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um, so I wrote that down kind of as best I could, sent it to publish. She's like, yep, that's great. And then I had to finish, uh, I'm just trying to work out what book it would have been. Maybe it was Outback Secrets, actually. No, it would have been Work Wives, I think. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's a work wife. And so I finished that and luckily I was really enjoying that book too because I'd had a real 
force myself to have a change of mindset and to be kind to myself as a writer. And so I was getting, you know, um, so it was probably almost six months before I actually got to write the book. Mm -hmm. Actually, I do remember I was doing some events for the workwives and I was in Melbourne and I don't know about you, but I never sort of write, I compartmentalise a lot of my writing life in that if I'm doing a number of events, you know, over a week or two, I'm too tired usually to write in that time. You know, I'm just, I'm totally in the, the two events sort of talking to people's own and I um, I always think, oh, I should do this or I should, you know, do some edits or whatever. But I really, realistically, I know that it's not going to happen. But I did write, I just was really inspired and excited by this idea. So I remember writing probably a bit of the first chapter when I was on tour for the Workwives. So, yeah, it kind of, it was long time before I got to actually, well, long in terms of my sort of writing, um, mm. before I actually got to really pursue it. And I think that was a good idea, actually. Um, I don't know what you think, but I've realised as a writer, it's good for me once I've got an idea, not necessarily to dive straight mm. into it, yeah. um, but to let the characters sort of simmer in my head while I'm doing other things. And I've now worked out that if I get a chance to do that, generally, as I said, nothing's easy, but generally the writing process is a little bit easier because I know the character's going into it better. Mm. Um, I've just just literally finished uh, Rural Romance, which um, was it was supposed to be women's fiction. But my publisher, my old publisher, the last said, well, do you want to make your last one with us a rural romance? Because you know, the first one was and you know, you, people love your rules and stuff. But I had that was a quite quick shift. And I decided, yes, that I would do that for various reasons. But I had the idea for a women's fiction, which is in the back burner now, like that's going to be after the next book. Um, unless something else jumps up, because sometimes that happens. Ideas, I don't know, you know, they they jump, they take, they jump the queue, and so who knows if that will ever happen. But I had an idea for a women's fiction, and so that was what was mulling around in my head while I was writing, you know, whatever I was writing. Um, and then suddenly I had this shift, and I was like, no, we want uh, a six book in your Bunyip Bay series, which I'd never planned to write, and I had to suddenly sort of manufacture the idea if that makes sense and then pretty much start straight away and that was harder for me like it's big and I realize now I really think it was because I didn't have that thinking time before diving in if that makes sense yeah I think I probably got off a tangent there <laughs> uh, there is no such thing in this podcast Rachel <laughs> um, no I do a lot of planning documents and then I let everything sit in my head for a while, in my mind rather, and then I wait I wait for what is distinctly a feeling of almost like a wave coming in Uh, and I feel it, I actually feel it, like I can feel the wave building and then there's a certain point I just think, okay, start now. Do you mean, sorry, I thought you said said wave rather than wave coming in, did you? A wave, W-A-V-E, yeah, like a wave. Yeah. Which it's is appropriate given your background because we've had ways. Yeah, today it is. I wish I was. Um, you should see my real background. It's like a white, beige, dirty wall. Anyway, um, in a tiny room that has got nothing in it. Um, but I thought you said way of coming in. I thought that's interesting because I also find that it's very, like, as I said, I wrote the beginning of that, the other Bridget, which mostly stayed the way it was. I did edit, I did edit a little bit because it changed from New Year's Eve to Valentine's Day for various reasons um but I remember I like for me I I suddenly had a spark of how it needed to begin so I wrote that bit down 
And I've actually written the first chapter of a follow-on book to this about her best friend, Fred, which is going to be called The Wedding Trap. But then I had to finish the book that I was currently writing. But I had the idea for how that began and I need to get it down. And for me, that's why I thought you said way of going in. Like I, I find sometimes I have to, I can't start immediately because I'm not exactly sure how the book needs to start. Mm. But as soon as I've got that first scene, like I'm ready if that makes sense. Well, I'm very, I'm very keen on the idea of a fridge book. <laughs> Such a great character. <laughs> no, it's interesting because I never again, like I think you mentioned secondary characters that sometimes you know call to you and then, um, but uh, yeah, she was. Ne- I never planned on writing her story, um, but it's interesting because in the the structure of this, as you said, she's a bit of a prickly kind of character um and in the story for um when I was doing the structure edit for Bridget uh the publisher said I think sometimes Fred is a so Fred's Bridget's best friend for anyone who wants is listening the publisher said I think sometimes Fred's a little harsh like you know I know she's sort of just a a brusque kind of character but sometimes you know she needs to show a bit more support or caringness towards you know the other people in her life so I, I toned her down a bit believe it or not but um in in doing that uh there was a line in this book that so Fred's upset about something and Bridget says in her sort of head there's only two times I've ever seen Fred cry and one was when her cat died and the other was when her mum got married I think for the fourth time I said or something like that which I guess gave me a hint to the backstory of why sort of Fred is the way she is and then suddenly that that line was what made me think of the idea for the next book. So I'm glad that the cat, you know, that my editor sort of made me think a little bit more about her character. Um, yeah, and hopefully, hopefully her book works out. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I, I think she's terrific. Like she's got. I won't yeah. say anything for people who haven't read the other Bridget, but. Um, yeah, I've I've didn't see her at all as brusque, and I guess that's because, you know, she might have been toned down a little bit. But I don't yeah. see her being that 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 stead like not steadfast. That's the wrong one. Uh, I was going to say feisty, firm. She's just she's yeah, like yeah. a supportive friend. Yeah, but also like she's the kind of person I think that doesn't put up with shit, and she's going to do what she wants to do. Like yeah. <laughs> you she know? does. Um, yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll have fun with her, hopefully. <laughs> So Bridget um, B, as she is known um, throughout most of the novel, is a librarian, as we've discussed, yep. and uh, and she matches people to books. And and woven throughout this novel are very are various books, books that you've obviously loved, or I'm presuming you've loved, books that you, you've loved as a reader or perhaps recommended to people, a whole range of books, including books for teenagers. There is a, a, a subsidiary character who's a teenage girl, who gets some recommendations initially via her mother from Bridget. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm wondering if they are all indeed books that you love or if some <laughs> of them are books that you don't love that you just feel you should put them in. Well, I'm going to say, I'm going to answer that question and tell you that there's 83 and I'll tell you how many I've read. But when you, it's sort of, it reminded me of something that maybe it'd be interesting to discuss about characters and opinions when you said her name is Bridget, but she's gone by B. Mm-hmm. So for the whole first draft um for me before I submitted it she was BJ <laughs> and and um, the publisher's like I just I love her but I just can't get her I just can't get around a character called BJ and I was like 
but that was kind of part of the you know embarrassment in it you know yeah. and the whole anyway um so that's just an aside but in the end we did some um well actually I asked a lot of members from the online book club that I run with my friend Anthea um when we were at our in-person retreat last year and they were all like nah love it love BJ told my publisher but still she then asked the office and I mean, I think it's interesting because you sort of work on both sides because you're a nonfiction publisher, right? But you're also a fiction writer. Yeah. So I guess you can understand what probably happened. She got everyone in the office kind of to say what they thought. And I was kind of like, okay, I have to, I have to, you've got to give them something. Um, and, yeah. I reckon it's generational with that because I'm a um well I'm a I'm a mash devotee as in the TV series Mash and there is a character yep, yep. BJ Honeycutt in that and, and so you were thinking it would never yeah. have crossed my mind that BJ Honeycutt like meant anything I've, that's the first connection for me is BJ Honeycutt yeah and you know what it's I yeah anyway <laughs> I know I knew a guy growing up was called BJ and it never it would never cross we were young enough, maybe. I mean, he wasn't. I wasn't in high school with him, so maybe by the time he got to high school, he got, um, you know, teased for it. But anyway, well, maybe so some people's that. minds just go there, Rachel. Exactly. Do not. Exactly. I think that's that's definitely the truth. Um. So regarding the books, I have read probably. I reckon I should actually count because my um. I've got a virtual assistant now who helps with some of the the um business aspects of writing life and um. She actually read the book and counted all and listed all the titles for me. Um, and then she she's written up a she's done it into a PDF that you can download, um, so you can see how many you've read. So I actually should check because I haven't done that. But I'm guessing I've read two thirds to three quarters. Like I haven't read fifteen minutes Italian. Don't know if you're up to that stage yet. Um, I have not read like um, Brokeback Mountain, a short story is mentioned in there. So various things that I sort of discovered as I was writing and I was researching various. Also, um, I actually have never read a Lee Child book, Lee Child's book. He is in there. Uh, my son, my oldest son and my husband read a lot of them. Hmm. Same with Matthew Riley. I think I may have mentioned Matthew Riley. I don't know if I yeah. did actually. Yeah, you did, um, yes. But yeah, yeah. So I haven't read him either. So the majority of books I have, some of the TikToky ones that are mentioned in there, I have read some, but not all. Um, and yeah, so it's just like if they're in there, they're there for sort of a reason. If that makes sense, it was. Um, and so most of those, like obviously, there's, there's a book club in the book. Um, all of the books in the book club I have read except one because I'm writing a book that I knew was going to come out this year, and it was hard. I and mean, you've done a book club book, but you did it very cleverly. Because your book club book was set in, is it the 70s? Uh, late 70s, yes, to early late 70s. 70s. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, all the books are already out, right? And, you know, whereas the book I knew, it's set in our contemporary times and it was coming um, out, you know, after I was writing the book. Um, so I couldn't really do books that were out this year. <laughs> and most book clubs generally do do quite new release type books unless they're a classic book club or something, you know. Um, so I did just sort of have to, have to choose books that I had loved um, and had read that were quite well known. The only one I haven't read of the book club books is The Women by Kristen Hannah because it's not out yet. But I was kind of vague in conversation about it. So, yeah. <laughs> And one book you mentioned is Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld, which I I almost squealed when I saw that mentioned because I love that book so much. So for those who don't know it, 
Yeah, it is a take on Pride and Prejudice. It's a reworking, contemporary reworking. Um, and Curtis Sittenveld is one of my favourite authors. She's written yeah, Rodham. She wrote yeah. American Wife. She re- recently wrote um, Romantic. Oh, what is that? Romantic <laughs> comedy. Romantic comedy. <laughs> That's yeah. a romantic story. But- I thought, That's incorrect. Uh, so <laughs> Curtis is um, Curtis is a fantastic writer, and I and I was reluctant to read Eligible and then a colleague suggested it. And I thought, mm. oh, okay, oh, my God, I fell in love with that book. So- oh, it's so good. I, I can't remember why I read it either because I think it was my first Curtis Sittenfeld. Other people had told me, I've read more since then, other people had told me, oh, you must read Prep, you must read American Wife, but I'd never got around to it. So I don't know if it was because it was a retelling of Pride and Prejudice or or what, but something made me so read well, it. well, didn't she? Like it was just that, oh, it's so oh. clever because yeah. it is so contemporary. I mean, you know, the, we've got cross-fitting sisters and I think um, transgender character, if I remember, um, or something like that. You know, like this, it's very modern mm. and the way that she hasn't, you know, she hasn't just written a retelling of Pride and Prejudice kind of this time. She's really... I don't know. She's done more than that, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> she's taken the story and, and really thought about how each of the sisters could be different in this time. And, yeah, mm. very clever. Fantastic. Well, um, I wasn't wild about prep, but I loved American Wife. So that was I, – I had veered away from Curtis Sittenfeld's books after – I read prep and just thought, mm, I like it. But when she was started to release other books, I thought, oh, no, I don't think I'll read those. But yeah, then yeah, I, yeah, American Wife, I thought, okay, this is – this is really special. Isn't that funny? You see, and, and you've ever, have you read romantic comedy? Because I didn't love that, and everyone else seems to love it more than me. I didn't hate it, but um, yeah, I didn't so love it I, as much as yeah. I didn't love yeah. it as much as American Wife and Rodham, actually. Yeah, yeah. I haven't read Rodham yet. I have to get onto that. I've got it. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's intriguing because she's writing about people who are alive, and uh, yeah. Bill Clinton doesn't come out of it very well, but. I wonder if Hillary knew about it. Did Hillary know she was writing this book about it? No. So, <laughs> it, it, look, she's just, um, Curtis is is a fantastic writer. She can do what she likes. Clearly not afraid <laughs> to take on some some big subjects. Um, yeah. Nor are you. Here's another segue for me. Uh, <laughs> so you have books uh, in threaded throughout the storyline, which is appropriate for Bridget as a character, and you mentioned in your letter at the start of the book that that books have healed they heal the characters in the books they have healed you yeah. and they healed you through a particularly difficult time of your life which is referenced through the character of Bridget and her experiences and that's to do with eating disorders so I'm wondering yeah why you decided to make this the book in which you introduce that yeah well it, there's a couple of things that I should say books did not heal me through my eating disorders they healed the character in the book <laughs> because I actually wasn't much of a reader you know through that time but I do think that, you know, books, I hear so many stories from people about how books have helped them through various times, you know, in their lives and that. So I do think that that's a possibility. Uh, the actual thing is the book that she refers to in the book is called Even If It Kills Me. Um, I've forgotten, Dor- uh, Dorothy someone, I think. Um, and that book actually was the opposite, had the opposite effect on me. I did read, it was a huge, massive read in high school, but I read that book. And that is a book about a teenage girl who, has anorexia and meets someone in hospital who does die. Spoiler alert, it's been out for a long time now. So, <laughs> um, and I helped that girl in that kind of book realize and get, you know, start when her friend died, you know, she realized how, how complex, you know, how, how dangerous it sort of could be. 
But I think it's interesting that there's the power of the book. What, what, remind, what that book sort of made me realise in hindsight is that books can really have a big power on you and not necessarily a good one. But I didn't want to write about that because I write like night lights sort of feel good fiction and stuff. Um, but that book actually encouraged me with my eating disorder. So I did have anorexia in a teen, as a teenager. I was not ever like hospitalised the way Bridget is. Um, got pretty close, but there was various things that got me through it. Um, and that book, I read that book and I was like, I'm in awe of this character who's an anorexic, like she's exactly like me. But, you know, I was, it wasn't like a bad thing. It was like, oh, she only eats an apple a day or, you know, and he's pushing her. Through. Like it was kind of like this is okay. It made me feel okay about it. So it was the opposite to I think what it was supposed to. So that's just, that's just sort of but the reason I haven't. So it's something I've wanted to talk, write about in a book for a long time, actually. Um, so I started writing and sort of literary slanted stuff, even though it was never my, because I did a uni degree in writing. That was just not me. After that, when I realised it was not me, I thought I'm going to write a Mills and Boone book, which I probably talked about in that other podcast I did with you for your other pod. Um, and one of my attempts to write a Mills and Boone, um, I did actually have a character who was anorexic. Um, and the feedback, and this is very early days in my, you know, writing, you know, um, the feedback was that this type of book it is, you know, it's not really... A, Mills and Moons are quite short and stuff and it's not really, you don't, you need to recover from anorexia or bulimia or any sort of imbecile like that. It's not overnight. It's not going to happen overnight, right? It's it's a, And that is just such a big thing to explore in a short kind of book. And also, yeah, so basically they were like, no, this is not, <laughs> we don't want a main character who is anorexic. And, and I should say also that was probably 2008 or something, Um a couple of years into, I think, try and so things have changed now in the in the in the publishing sphere. <laughs> you know, like, and we are focusing more on, uh, you know, illness, characters that have anxiety or characters that have, you know, neurodiversities and 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 so and also illnesses. So maybe now it wouldn't have been so much of a thing. You know what I mean? Maybe they would have. Um, also, probably I wasn't competent enough to write the way it needed to for that. Um, so I, I guess I had that in my head for a long time as well. You know, uh, rejections, well, no, that's not something you want a main character to be, you know, like, and so I always knew that I did want to write about it. And I did touch on anorexia in Outback Seek Sisters with, um, that's, a, that's a character, uh, sorry, a story about two, uh, sisters who are adults and one of them has a teenage daughter who, um, has an eating disorder. Um, I think it's bulimia, not anorexia, but they're closely linked in sometimes way. Um, and, and so, yeah, I touched on it there with a secondary character and I was happy with how I did that, but I didn't, I'd never got around to sort of, I'd never worked out how to do it with a main character and really explore like the, I think Marion Keyes does it amazingly in Grown Ups, I think it's Grown Ups, where one of the characters is bulimic. Um, but it's really hard to do that, like something that's quite dark in a, you know, right way. So that's why. And then when I was writing Bridget and trying to work out, you know, what, why she likes books so much and what that so it just came into my head. Uh, I remembered that that book actually um, has a bad effect on me, but I thought I flipped it around. Thought, well, maybe you know, I did a bit of research online about you know why she wrote, wrote person wrote that book and and if it um, helped other people and stuff. And I think it did. Um, and so then I sort of thought, well, actually, maybe Bridget is the character, but maybe the thing to show, like, I'm lucky. I think I said in the book, twenty percent of people don't recover from 
with about that much. I think um, eating disorders, you know, people die from them. Um, I have, I would say, 98% recovered. <laughs> um, I, I, I literally go now, I don't know how I starved myself. <laughs> I don't know how I managed to do that. Um, and so I wanted to show that that was possible too and that it is possible to have a really unhealthy body image and to come, you know, to having a pretty healthy body image and accepting, you know, your body and mm. sort of celebrating in a way. Yeah. So I don't know if I, I did worry, like, you know, should I go deeper? Have I gone deep enough? Have I gone to, you know, like, it, and, but yeah, <laughs> it is well, what it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what you really successfully achieved was showing that it's, it's, it's not a quick fix because it often is, yeah. just, you said you're 98% recovered and, and so many girls who become women who have survived an eating disorder will have it forever to an extent. Like it's always yeah. part of programming and they have to continually commit to reprogramming. That's and, true because I still have thoughts, you know, of certain things and, and I know they're not like healthy thoughts but I recognise them kind of now and also I'm, I'm as much as I, you know, would like to be thinner, like let's face it, we all, I also now am, am too lazy and, and, you know, like I don't have the, the drive that I did then. And that's a good thing. That's a good well, thing. I'm saying, but yeah, yeah, because the drive you had then was was not taking you in a great not direction. Good. And I also speak as someone who, you know, as a woman living in this society, who absolutely left school with an eating disorder of some kind. It was not. Yeah. A, I think was, most people, yeah. the majority of women, probably of you know, I was about to say of our ages, but then I think it's probably even though we always say that things are getting better, like it's you know, it's older people, it's younger people. Uh, I think I do mention in the book the diet culture of of like I mean, Bridget's a little bit younger than I am but the diet culture of when I was growing up mm. in the 80s you know the 70s 80s 90s you know every magazine um and you know there was just uh, my, my mum was constantly dieting and she had, she was bulimic in her teens and so you know that was never kind of she never kind of like got over that until probably long after she had me you know um and my cousin as well but so yeah I think it was just a like it was a cultural thing in in in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and it still is. Yeah. The, yeah. the messages are still there, and it, it is yeah. probably that is very very hard to break. And I remember reading years ago a book about Karen Carpenter of the Carpenters. Yeah, his pop band. So Karen died of as a result of anorexia nervosa. Her, she basically had a heart attack and died. And what yeah. me reading that book was her psychiatrist was was interviewed for it, and he said an, an idea is the hardest thing to break. And what you're dealing with with anorexics is 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 getting them to let go of an idea. That is so true. What their body is like, and I and I've never forgotten it uh, because you can apply it in other contexts as well to do with it. Yeah, anything. yeah. But that but that notion that that the idea can kill you in the end. Yeah, yeah. Is is extraordinary and and awful, and in her case, did kill her. And so much is, as you said, not just with eating disorders, but with every sort of aspect of our life. So much of it is mental, like, and ha- and your brain talk and your, you know, like, yeah. So I think Bridget's self-talk around the issue is very realistic and also the fact that it's not, it's not throughout her life, but it pops up from here to there as it does. You know, these yeah. thoughts of when she's thinking, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I could be this, maybe I shouldn't eat that, maybe I should do that. And it's yeah. just the everyday nature of it, which is also the insidiousness of it, I guess, that it is an everyday thing. But but she is making conscious steps to repro- reprogram herself yeah. 
she commits to it as a as a regular practice I guess yeah and I guess that's what I wanted to show that you know if you do do that it is possible to live you know a good life and recover from from an injury disorder yeah yeah and uh, as as you are doing as you said yeah Um, (laughs) and you and you too yeah look I think it's yeah look we all the programming is profound it's deep it's long lasting it's yeah terrifying actually when you start to unpick all the messages that that we're given from childhood actually girls in particular Um, yeah yeah I know boys are also getting messages these days which is not ideal um far, far from ideal that wasn't a, that was yeah, a, yeah. Way to say it but part of what we do I guess is as storytellers as writers is try to take the experiences that we've had where there's been pain and I don't want to say in a rumple stilt skin fashion but, <laughs> but I always sometimes no, but... we're trying to spin it into gold you know which and, yeah, and yeah. Gold. yeah no definitely I mean there's other things in my life I think that happened that I also think, oh, people say to me, oh, you should write about that, you know, and I just, and maybe I will one day, nothing really, really dark, um, just certain things that have obviously shaped who I am, but I have not yet found a way to write about those things. So I guess, yeah, finally found a way with this. <laughs> I also find that, um, you know, fiction can be a great way to get Petty revenge on people. You yes, characters. So <laughs> Actually, um, one of my a really close younger friends, a family friend, um, he his wife recently he only been married a couple of years, got married in the pandemic, and his wife cheated on him. And I was talking to his sister, and we were like, "Okay, next book, there's going to be a horrible character with his wife's name." <laughs> so yeah, uh, we can do that exactly. And because it's fiction, no one can say whether it's directly someone or not, you know. Fuck <laughs> the name out of the air. Uh, and so I am. I may or may not be confirming that I have named characters after people. <laughs> I love it. Very minor characters. That's the, that's the part of the book. There's only so many names, you know, so you have to be what might happen. And you don't want to name one of your favourite characters after someone who's horrible to you or you don't like because that would just not feel right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Well, now, Rachel, I've had you talking for a very long time um, and uh, where you are, it's heading into dinner time on the West Coast. Um, so, And yours, uh, bedtime almost, eh? <laughs> bedtime. <laughs> but, uh, but we've called this podcast Dear Rachel and Soph because ideally we would like questions from people, yeah. uh, possibly writer questions, so writers might be having challenges or just want to tell us something that they're doing and get our input on it. Or readers might also have some challenges that they want to bring to us just because they want to tell someone and it can be completely anonymous, of course. And as I was saying to you when we were talking about this podcast initially, uh, you know, we try to solve problems for our writers. Obviously, we're not psychologists. Yep. We're not counsellors. We're not therapists of any kind. But we have, <laughs> yeah, we have to do a lot of thinking on our characters' behalves about how they would get through things. And I guess as we've demonstrated in this episode we both have, have some lived experience of things that yeah. are different and, and we've only just hinted at a little bit of it. So I guess this is my yeah. way of encouraging listeners if they're writers or readers and they just want to be part of the podcast to send us a question. Um, we will give details as to how to do that. Uh, it'll be an email address, probably mine, and we'll take it from there. And maybe down the track, if someone who's sending in a question wants to be filmed on the podcast asking us the question and getting our answer they can do that too but we're keeping this pretty loose we have no structure 
it's all just going with the flow. Fine. And yes, yes, um, ask away because I'm an open book. <laughs> and, and, and between us, I think I should say that, that obviously I have been writing for 25 years, published in uh, I think 12 of those, attempted many different things, different genres, had many, many rejections and all that sort of stuff. You have been an agent, a non-fiction publisher and a fiction writer. And how long have you been writing? And you've been thought lots of different types of writing in that time, haven't you? Yeah, well, I suppose I've been doing, um, I've actually, I wrote some romance novels under a completely different name. So I have done Ooh, that. Oh, I guess. Um, I need to tell me the name. Are we allowed to know on screen or is it like off screen? I think it's, it? I think they're out of print, so there's no point. Um, uh, uh, but I've also, I've been writing about music. I've been a music journalist for 12 yeah. years. And I've learned a huge amount from the Australian country music artists that I've interviewed. In fact, in a lot of ways, I think I've learned more from them about storytelling, not writing um, per yeah. se, just because of the of the, the role they have with their audience and the stories yeah. and what they're interested in. So, so yeah, if people have questions about how to tell a story or how to get a creative spark, all those sorts of things, I think we're both interested in. Where your girls. Where your girls. <laughs> <laughs> and at the time we're recording... It's a week away from you coming to Sydney for an event and I'm yes. going to see you in person for the first time. Yes, that'll be very, very exciting. I feel like I already met you in person, but that's what Zoom does these days, doesn't it? Right, that's right. So for the time being, I'm going to wrap it up. And Rach, thanks it's been everyone. So great to talk to you. <laughs> you too. Thanks for joining us on Dear Rach and Soap. We look forward to your company next time.